0: Hey, welcome everyone. Great to uh, be together in worship this morning and um, thrilled to be gathering around God's Word. Thanks to Jen and the team for leading us. Um, And we're going to talk a little bit this morning in preparation of prayer week coming up in a couple of weeks. Now I know if you're part of our church and you've been around for some time, you know that last year we spent quite a bit of time talking about what it means to become a praying church prayerful people. We started the year with adopting a, a uh, daily rhythm of prayer. Do you remember that where we talked about in the morning, pray the Lord's Prayer, and at midday, pray for the lost, and in the evening, let's pray gratitude. And I know a number of you have adopted that, and that's become a regular daily personal rhythm for you. And I say, way to go. Good on you. Keep it up, uh, and let's keep let's keep pressing into this. The reason why I think this is so important is because here's uh, here's what I know to be true: is that every revival in the history of the world has born out of prayer. Every great revival is sustained. By prayer, And every great revival gives birth to more prayer. Wherever you see a move of God around the world, there will be someone praying. Wherever you see someone giving their life to Jesus, someone will have prayed. Wherever you see breakthrough, there's prayer. And when I see church growth, and yes, you can read all the strategy books and all the different ideas and all that kind of stuff, but I think at the end of the day, it tends to be because of prayer. And when we see mission effectiveness, like last week when we heard of, uh, uh, with the, the friends Ruth and, and Nick from uh, MAF over in, over in Timor-Leste, there's prayer, lots of people praying. And I love the idea that a praying church can affect change and transformation in a way that at times is just really difficult to understand, because it's supernatural. And every time we pray, something happens. Every time we pray, something happens. I remember as a 17-year-old, I'd been praying for some time and I'd been seeking the Lord and, and uh, you know, around, around direction for life. And, you know, as a 17-year-old, you're worried about the future and all that kind of stuff. And I remember, um, I remember as a 17-year-old, I had this mountain bike accident. It was a pretty gnarly one, pretty serious one, spent a bit of time in hospital, um, came home from that. And that was like my wake-up moment where it was like God said, hey, you've said you've You saved. You said, you know, I I get all that, but are you really going to give yourself to me? And that was the moment where I remember like actually saying to God, yeah, all right, I'll give you my whole life. Every part, it was like total surrender moment, total laying it all down. Okay, God, wherever you ask, I remember praying words like this. God, wherever you ask me to go, I'll go. Whatever you ask me to do, I'll do. Yeah, it's just a settled deal. Now, God's had to take me back to that moment multiple times over the years and remind me of that, you know, surrender moment. Like, I thought we settled this, Clint, back when you were 17, remember? You know, when, you know that kind of a deal. But, but the truth is, I think we have a God who listens. And so, when, when I got a little bit older and, and was, um, uh, there's a, there was a strange moment actually on an airplane where I'd been praying intensely for a period of time um, with this niggling sense that actually Jamie was supposed to be the person I was supposed to marry. But I wasn't quite convinced, I wasn't quite sure. And the awkward part, the uncertain part about this is we didn't really know each other all that, really, all that well. We hadn't spent much time together. Um, and I just had this sense, you know what I mean? And I don't share this story very often. And so I was on an airplane, uh, and, and, I was, and I was praying, and I was like, okay God, I'm going back, and, and her family's going to be there, and you'll get to meet her family, they'll be here in a couple of weeks. Um, and, um, and, and I'm like, oh. God, it'd be really helpful if you just knew. And I remember doing one of those flop open the Bible tricks, you know. I don't recommend it all the time. Um, you know, I remember flopping over the, the Bible. I'm like, Lord, I've been praying and I'm just not getting a clear sense of direction. I'm not fully understanding. And, and I flop open it and, and God took me to, and, and I ended up reading in Joel chapter 2. I don't think I'd ever read Joel ever before that. Um, and I'm reading in Joel chapter 2. And there was this little passage in Joel chapter 2 where it talks about how God brings His people together. And it starts real macro scale, you know, from every nation and every tribe and different languages will come together. And and, and it comes down to different family groups will come together. And at the end of that text, it talks about the bride will leave her room and the bridegroom will leave and they'll come together and be united as one. It's like one of those like total crazy circumstantial type moments where it was like, God knew what was going on in my life. God knew exactly what I was seeking, the clarity that I was looking for. And, I, and that was a moment of confirmation. And here we are, a number of years later, married. See, I believe God, we have a God who doesn't just listen, but we have a God who intervenes. We have a God who shows up and moves. And when we pray, he, God reaches in, He intervenes and He transforms and changes things. That's the heart of God. He longs to reach in and to touch lives and to change and transform people. And, and, and I just be- really believe in the power of prayer and, and how this all works. And so I thought it'd be good for us as we prepare ourselves for prayer week coming up in a couple of weeks. To, to look at a moment of prayer in the Bible. So if you've got your Bibles, I encourage you, let's open up to Acts chapter three. Now, this is a text we spent some time looking at last year. I, I recognize that, I admit, but it's always good to revisit some things. And I think God's got something new and fresh for us this morning, so don't worry. It's not like rehashing an old message. Acts chapter three, Peter and John, they're on their way to the temple to pray. And what we find in the early church is that they modeled for us this daily rhythm of prayer, stopping at least three times a day to pray. Usually they were going to the temple to pray three times a day, in the morning and at midday and at night. And that's where we basically, that was the Jewish system, the Jewish model of prayer that the early church adopted and continued to live out and carried forward all the way through. So when you, when you look in Alexandria, you know, Clement is leading God's people in a similar kind of rhythm, all the way through to St. Benedict some 600 years later. This daily rhythm of prayer. And that's, that's the ad- adapted version that we kind of adopted a year ago and said, here at the well, we want to be people of prayer. Let's, uh, let, and, we, and, and praying once a day just doesn't, doesn't cut it because we know the distraction of the rest of life. We know how busy the rest of life can become. So we know we need regular pauses throughout the day, more than once. So morning, we stop and we pray the Lord's Prayer. At midday, we stop and we pray for the lost. And in the evening, we stop and we pray gratitude. In the early church, we we just adopted, uh, basically adapted the the, the model that we saw in the the early church, rhythm of prayer, of going to the temple three times uh, a day to pray. And essentially, that's the setting for what we're about to read. So if you read with me in Acts chapter 3, I'm going to start reading in verse 1. It says, One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer. You see that? At three in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk, and then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Friends, this is the Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So basically, this incredible story, right? Acts chapter 3, Acts chapter 4. If you read, read these two chapters of Acts, it's, it's in a lot of ways, it's, it's reminiscent of um, like Mark's gospel. You know, Mark's gospel is known for this sense of um, immediacy to it, the, the, the rapidity of action, like it's just kind of action-packed, it's like, and then this, and then this, and then suddenly, and it was, you know, Mark's gospel, and, and, and like these early chapters of Acts kind of move like that, you know, the church is uh, also enjoying this real time of favour, basically Acts chapter 2 is the story of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit being poured out on all, all God's people, and it says that the church was enjoying the favour of all the people, right, And Luke could have used all kinds of signs and wonders and miraculous interventions and whatnot, um, but he doesn't. Instead, he uses this moment to show the kingdom of God breaking in, and I think it's because this is the beginning of when the church becomes persecuted. We often think about Stephen being the first martyr, and he was, but, we, but, but actually the church began to be persecuted and experienced resistance before Stephen, and this is maybe the, the beginning of that, the first incidents of the church being persecuted, because if we read on, we see things take a turn pretty quickly in Acts chapter 4. And so they're a praying church, they're gathering regularly, God's all over them, smiling on them, giving them favour with the people, you know, people are being saved daily, and, and Peter and John, they're walking up to the temple one day, and it's like one of those <clears throat> moments. Did your dad ever do that? I don't know what it was like for you, but like, growing up in our family, my dad, you know, anytime we were out and about in public, you know, I'm one of four boys, so I have three younger brothers, and, and anytime we were... Um, how do you say, uh, out of line, that'd be a nice way of putting it, out of line or verging on being out of line, you know, in order to not embarrass us publicly, dad would just give a, kind of a, you know, one of those ones and, uh, you know, any parent ever given a, yeah, 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 there's a few, there you go and and it's one of those moments like, like, and we, you know, it it doesn't necessarily mean anything but if you didn't tune into the, it usually meant there'd be something to deal with when you got home. Um, that's, that's what we did know. So, in order to avoid dealing with something when you get home, you pay attention to the ahem, uh-huh, you tune in, right? You, and, 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 and I think it's just this noise, right? But but basically, uh, the funny, the, the irony of it all, I think, is that actually so many parents used it. It was so common that anytime someone would hear an ahem, uh-huh, like, everyone would turn and be like, what's going on? You know what I mean? And, but, but just a just single look, and you knew what, what dad wanted, right? And and, and and the reason is, is that I knew my dad, I'd grown up with him, I'd grown up in the same house, I knew his, I knew his tone of voice, I knew his intonations, I knew, I knew what he was saying even when he didn't use words, when a look could convey it all. You know what I'm saying? Parents, you know what I'm saying. Kids, you you, you know what I'm saying, right? And, and, And like, like my kids will often tell me, like, they, they, they know my phone voice. Anyone have a phone voice? You know, you get on the phone and you got a different voice, and then when you're talking, you know, normally or, or or your preacher voice, they say you know you get your teacher voice on, Dad, um, or or, um, or or like your fake smile, like they'll often be like, "Yeah, that was your fake smile, Dad. Can we get a real one?" You know, um, where you just kind of like being polite and nice and. Anyways, I think it's one of these moments, but why am I going into all this? Because I think Peter and John, they're walking into the temple and, and just they're in their rhythm. They're in their daily rhythm of prayer. So they're walking into the temple to pray and it's almost as if as they're entering in through the gate, there's this ahem. And you can almost imagine Peter kind of having to stop and turn back and be like, what, what just happened? Hang on a minute, tune in here. Um, uh, and, 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 uh, and, and, and it's this interruption that takes place, this interruption to their daily rhythm. And as I was praying about what the Lord might have me share this morning, it, it, it was two things, really, and the first one was all around interruption. That I learned this week that the Aramaic word for prayer, which is the language that mo, the, Jesus and most of the disciples were likely speaking with each other, um, is this word, uh, sluther, which literally means to set a trap to set a trap. So, to set your mind as a trap and to wait patiently to catch the thoughts of God. That's the imagery. Isn't that beautiful? To set your mind as a trap in order to catch the thoughts of God. That was the kind of uh, understanding behind this word for prayer. The, to trap that inner guidance, to trap you know God's impulses or adjustment or even just simply tuning in. So, here's what I think happens is that we have these regular rhythms of prayer that are necessary and important. And we need those, right? When we build those into our lives, these rhythms of prayer, what are we doing? We're becoming the kind of people who tune in. And when we tune in to God, we more easily recognize when He comes to interrupt us. We get to know His tone of voice. We get to know His intonation. We get to know, even when He doesn't use proper words and He gives just a ahem, we go, ooh, pay attention something's happening right see if my rhythm of prayer doesn't allow for interruption then I run the risk of becoming maybe a tad religious and that's not what we're after that's not the kind of prayerful people we want to be we need to live as Peter and John did a life that is interruptible so they have this regular rhythm of prayer that helps them to tune in and when I go to prayer throughout the day, I'm paying attention to God. I'm starting to, to think about Him, to learning to know His ways more and listen to His voice. And I'm reading His Word and I'm understanding Him and, and spending time with Him. I'm growing up with God, right? So that eventually I notice when He does go, Ahem, and I get to know His little, Ahem, His interruptions. And I think for us as Christians, we need to be people who are easily interrupted. Now, when I say interrupted, don't mistake that for being distracted, okay? I think a lot of people, they, they, they dismiss and they say, well, God's just interrupted me and so I need to pay attention to this. And I go, no, 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 I'm not sure that was God interrupting you. I think that was just you being distracted. At least I know that's true for me, right? So I think we need to know, like when we say God's interrupting us, we b- believe me, I know what it is to be easily distracted. I remember like multiple times when prayer walking and you're praying around, you're praying around Sydenham here. We'd be praying around the streets, around, around our community here, praying for people that we see, praying for things. And, and all of a sudden, you know, and, and you want to pay attention to what you're noticing in case God might lead you know, something to that, but, but all of a sudden, my mind goes off onto different things, and, 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 and before you know it, I go, oh, there's a sale on, you know, and oh, there's a sale on at Mitre 10, oh, yeah, they got, you know, water, pressure washers on sale, yeah, oh, actually, I need to do the pressure washing on my, on my, on my uh, you know, the concrete around, there. oh, actually, I actually haven't done the gutters yet this year, oh, I need to get up and do the gutters, before you know it, I'm off on all these other things, and I'm searching online for like mid-price pressure, pressure washers, when actually, I'm supposed to be praying, you know what I'm saying? Uh, And, 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 you know, it's easy how it all happens. Believe me, I know how to get distracted, but we're not talking about that. What we're talking about is being interrupted by God and positioning ourselves to be interrupted by God. That takes discernment. Take, for example, Moses in Exodus chapter 3. You remember what happened? Moses shows up in the wilderness he comes along. God interrupts him with a burning bush. Now, that wasn't just a distraction because that was an uncommon sight, So he knew it was more than a distraction. This was a genuine interruption. And in fact, if you start looking through the Bible, you'll see there are women and there are men all over the show who are constantly being interrupted by God. And the idea is that if they tune in enough to recognize, if they just are tuned in enough to hear the voice of God, like Samuel. I love Samuel. I love that the story of Samuel is in the Bible because it took God three goes to interrupt Samuel. And I go, oh, that's so like me. You know what I mean? Sometimes it takes multiple attempts. And, and, you know, like it took God three times to, to, to get to Samuel, which, by the way, I think that's a really important thing like, um, for us to, to realize about God is that he's not afraid of repetition. Like he's not frightened of saying, hey, Clint, uh-huh. come on, Clint, uh-huh. like he doesn't, he doesn't grow impatient doesn't grow frustrated, you know, you know like, like, like even the story with Samuel, God doesn't like go telling Samuel off for having, because God had to repeat Himself a few times, you know, He doesn't, you know, God's not frightened of repetition, and that's when we realize for ourselves, we go, oh my goodness, God's been trying to get my attention all this time, like three, four, five times, maybe more, you know, like, and, uh, and, and so I would be concerned if my rule of life, my regular rhythms of prayer was not interruptible, So we need to have these interruptible lives. And what does that look like? How does God interrupt? Where and how might God want to interrupt our lives? And this is actually where I think God has some things for us as we look at 2024, the year that's ahead. Because this interruption thing, I think, is actually for us this year. You know, um, I was thinking one of the the places that I've seen this play out in my own life and, and has shaped a lot of, Understanding the way that God's done that in my life has been the story of Abraham. And so if you read in Genesis, the end of chapter 11, you see actually um, this, this incredible story of Abraham, how God interrupted Abraham's life and in Genesis 12, sorry, God interrupts Abraham's life. But just before that, in the end of Genesis 11, there's the story of Terah, who is Abraham's dad. If you read the last few verses of Genesis chapter 11, Terah, Abraham's father, left Ur of the Chaldeans and traveled and they set out... They set out to go um, to some other place, Canaan or something like that, and, but they got to Haran and they stopped and settled there. Now, it doesn't say that he sinned, it doesn't say that he did anything wrong. it just says that he stopped, he settled there and he died. And sometimes I'm afraid that this, this might be true of the church, if I'm honest, like that we might just stop and settle. And so let's just be careful. So God comes in Genesis 12 and he interrupts Abraham. And so read with me in Genesis chapter 12, starting in verse one. It says, the Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. I love that. Here we see this old man, obedient to the interruption of God. And what I want to draw your attention to is actually the three ways that God interrupted Abram. You see in verse 1 there, there's that that triplet. And I think anytime you see a triplet like this in the Scriptures, it's, it's important to pay attention. You see your country, your people, and your father's household go from your country, go from your people, and go from your father's household. And I think these are often ways that God interrupts us today, three ways that God interrupts us today. The first one is to go from your country. That's all about geographical relocation, obviously, right? Geographical relocation. Sometimes God interrupts for geographical relocation, and sometimes that can just be as simple as he needs to get you someplace else, right? Maybe it's for safety reasons, Maybe it's for His other purposes. Maybe He's got some will and purpose for your life that's not going to be achieved unless He gets you to where He needs you. And I've experienced this a number of times in my own life. Um, obviously, I'm not from Christ church, didn't grow up here. So we've experienced God's interruption and leading us from one place to another. Jamie and I were serving on staff at a church in New Jersey over on the east coast of the USA when God interrupted our lives. Um, And and through a whole load of other signs and confirmation, we were led to take our young family with our two daughters who were four years and one year old at the time and move down here to Ototahi, right after the earthquakes, in order to plant a church. You know, and sometimes God needs to move us to somewhere else for the things that He has in store. And and while there's, you know, like a decent sized crowd here this morning and it would be really... um, you know, undesirable, I think, for for our church and for our team, you know, if you all said, hey, we're moving and and God's moving us on somewhere else, then then so be it. But the thing about geographical relocation is that you have to say goodbye. When you move from one place to another, you have to say goodbye. And sometimes God interrupts us because we have to say goodbye to some things. Sometimes that may mean geography. For others, it may mean saying goodbye to something or someone we love. I mean, have you ever had to move? You know, that saying goodbye isn't easy, right? It's hard. I remember saying goodbye to dear friends, loved ones, family members, you know, crying and feels like the end of the world and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And when God interrupts our lives, often it will mean saying goodbye to some place, someone, something that we love, and it's not going to be easy, but ultimately we know it's for our good if God's the one who's doing the interrupting. So when God interrupts Peter here in Acts chapter 3, he's on his way, Peter's on his way to the temple, and notice he didn't have any money, remember? And so, did you know that most people, when they would go to the temple to pray, they would, t- they would carry money with them, forgiving tithes, forgiving offerings, forgiving alms, which is why the, the lame beggar was sitting outside the gate, the entranceway to the temple, because he knew that this was when people would give alms on their way in or on their way out. And so, Peter... Even in our story this morning, Peter had to say goodbye to his own pride and actually be humble enough to lead with the fact. You notice when, when, when the beggar stopped him and, and, and cried out and, and lead with the fact that he had no money. Now, obviously, we read on the story and God got him out of it in a pretty, pretty remarkable way when he says, silver and gold I do not have. But that's a humbling thing to say. That's a pretty vulnerable thing to say, to lead with that out front. But what I do have, I give to you. I think that when sometimes when God interrupts, He's asking us to say goodbye to some things. So if God's Spirit moves on you this year, what do you need to say goodbye to? Geographical relocation may be part of that for some of you, but it might also be true for some of you that God might be asking you to say goodbye to some other things. Time to let them go. Time to leave them behind in order to be obedient to God's interruption. I think the other thing I'm fascinated by in Genesis 12, the second thing is is that God tells Abraham to leave your people. The first one is go from your country, that's geographical relocation. The second one is leave your people, that's tribal, that's communal, that's this tribal dislocation which is really at its core about identity and belonging, isn't it? You know, that's this 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 tribal dislocation to leave your people, like these are my people, right? Why would I leave them? There's this identity thing that happens when God interrupts and so when God interrupts our identity around who He thinks we are versus who we think we are, He wants to come and break in and interrupt and speak into our lives. I mean, Jesus has done this with with uh, Simon. He says, no longer will I call you Simon, but I'm going to call you now Cephas or Peter, Peter. And on this rock, Peter, I will build my church, you know. And when God interrupts Saul on the road to Damascus, what happens? Saul becomes Paul. You know, when Jacob wrestles with an angel, that's a major interruption to your sleep in the middle of the night, isn't it? When an angel attacks you and starts wrestling and And what happens is an identity thing. He says, I'm no longer going to call you Jacob, but now I'm going to call you Israel. See, something happens deep down inside when God interrupts. He wants to come and He wants to speak to identity, to who we truly are. And I notice this is true of prayerful people, that deep transformation that occurs, but we need to be interruptible. We need to allow God to interrupt and say, hey, this needs to change. Allow God's finger, you know, in your, in your soul to say, that needs to shift. This is not truly who you're meant to be. That needs to say, you need to say goodbye to that. You need to get rid of this, you know. It's not all negative. It's not all stripped back. It's actually about stepping increasingly into who we're called to be and who God desired and made us to be. And God wants to reshape and push us in that direction gently by interrupting us. See, it's often a gift from God. We think interruptions are like the worst thing in the world, don't we? We think it's like negative thing and we don't want it. But actually, it's it's sometimes the very best thing for us. And so we need to be open to that tribal dislocation that allows God to reshape our identity. First and foremost around our identity as beloved sons and daughters adopted into His family. That's our identity first and foremost. And the final interruption, I think, that needs uh, to happen is this. He says, "Leave your father's house." And this is an interesting one, right? I mean, Peter, his identity's been rocked. He's had to say goodbye to his pride and admit that he doesn't have any money. But but to leave your father's house—that's this interruption of like changing your mind, changing your thinking. Like, I remember, I remember growing up and going, "Well, leaving my father's house—you know, getting married." I'm like, "Well, that's—we don't do things this way." No. Never done it that way before, you know. The Father's house, that's doing things the way my dad used to do it, you know, the way, the way that he did things. And I think God may want to interrupt us with some new ways of thinking, thinking differently this year. New ways of being and new ways of thinking. And it happens again to Peter when you look in Acts chapter 10. In the middle of the day, daily rhythm of prayer, Peter's on the roof. He's at Simon the Tanner's house, you know, down by the sea. He's on the roof, and God interrupts his daily rhythm of prayer with not just a mild or minor one. This is a massive one. This is an interruption that essentially begins the move of the church from being focused on essentially just a Jewish sect into the Gentiles and the rest of the world. I mean, this is this is this massive thing, and, and uh. And he needs this shift of mind, because the next thing that God says is, go off to Cornelius' house, share a meal with the dude. Well, this is stuff like, that's change of thinking stuff. Like, that's not the kind of thing that a Jewish man would typically do, go and eat with Gentiles. No. Requires a change in thinking. And so sometimes God needs to interrupt us in our thinking. And sometimes I think, I'm just going to add this one in just for free. Um, I think maybe God wants to interrupt us simply because He wants to take us on an adventure. And I think that's awesome. I think that's exciting. You know, I I think you know it was um, Helen Keller, who was married to you know the late great Tim Keller, who said life is either a daring adventure or nothing. I'm like, man, that's good, right? And it's like it's like you can picture that Lord of the Rings scene, you know, like with um, where Bilbo is in his house and they, all the dwarves come in and they're singing and they're dancing, and there's all the food and they're finding all the food, right? And, and, and over the course of the night, there's this beautiful line where it says, you know, for Bilbo, and something Tookish awoke inside of him and he wished to go and to see the great mountains and to hear the pine trees and, to, and the waterfalls and to explore the caves and to wear a sword instead of a walking stick and and I love that. And I think, actually, sometimes God just needs to stir us up and to inspire us and He wants to take us on an adventure simply because that, and I think that's exciting. And so I think the interruptions He wants to bring into our lives are always important. But that's only one part of what I sense God wanted me to prepare us with as we head towards prayer week into 2024. Because I think the other part plays out in the text as well is, is around you know the other thing i've noticed about interruptions when god starts to move that's often when those interruptions seem to increase in frequency you know when god starts showing up and god starts moving and i'm believing that that's what we're hungering for and what we're seeking and what we're pressing into and i believe believe it's going to come i think the other thing is that interruptions seem to also bring resistance and that resistance comes it always comes resistance there's always resistance always resistance and so see what happens to Peter and John, they're, they're dragged before the Sanhedrin, who, who, you know, say that you can't do this anymore, Peter and John, don't talk about Jesus anymore, and the Sanhedrin, you can't think of them as just like our church board, like our team of servant leaders, you know, they're not, no, the, the, this is the great Sanhedrin, the great Sanhedrin was a group of 72 men who literally had the power to have you executed, right this is this is a powerful group and so they 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 told Peter and John you can't do this stop speaking about Jesus and don't you love the line later in the conversation in Acts chapter 4 where it says but they took note that these men had been with Jesus you know the beautiful line in their unschooled ordinary men you know that whole thing then the Sanhedrin says you know you can't do this stop speaking the name of Jesus and Peter and John say well we can't do that we're going to keep going we're going to keep going we're going to persevere. We, we can't not. Um, and so you, you're going to come against resistance, I think, whenever God interrupts your life. And I heard last year from um, Brian Heasley, he's the international director for 24 7 prayer, and perhaps that perhaps the, the greatest place of resistance to the gospel and to the church is in Iran. But it's also the place where the church is growing rapidly. It's growing incredibly fast. Where things are contested, it seems God tends to be moving. Where there's contestation, it normally means God's on the move. And in Iran, I heard Brian tell this story of, like, in one go, 60 people being baptized all at once in Iran. Just last year. It's phenomenal, right? And God is on the move where things are being contested. And so my final thought is this, that, that they keep getting told to stop speaking about Jesus, stop speaking about Jesus, about all they've seen and heard. And, and you should read all the way through Acts 3 and 4. You'll love it. It's great. Um, but let's look a little bit at, at a little bit of this Acts 4, this prayer that the church prays when Peter and John are released from the Sanhedrin. They go back to the believers and they gather together. Interesting side note, it says that they were praying together. I think there's something important about praying together, that's why we gather every Tuesday morning at 7am, that's why we gather on the first of the month, no matter what day of the month it is, we gather at 7pm. There's something important about gathering the church, praying together. It says in Acts chapter 4 verse 24, it says, they raised their voices together in prayer. I think there's something really powerful and important about coming together in prayer. I think there's also something really important about raising our voices. And and I've had people tell me, you know, I don't do that praying out loud thing and know, that's all right, I get that, but do you know, it's actually kind of biblical, like it's it's a biblical thing, it shows up, this isn't the only place it shows up, it shows up again and again throughout the scriptures, like lift your voices, lift them to the Lord, you know, we lift our voices, we'll raise your voices, and I know it's hard if you're an introvert, and and, and, you know, but the the truth is, it's a biblical thing, And, and when we gather together in prayer, I want to be able to say yes and amen to your prayers, I want to be able to affirm and add my support and totoku, you know, the things and agree with what you're praying. And, And I think there's something powerful about the church coming together and raising our voices in prayer a bit. I get that this betrays our Cantabrian sensitivities, you know, where we're a bit frightened to make a noise and, you know, not wanting to embarrass ourselves maybe. I get it. But if you go to If you go to South Korea, if you go, I mean, that's not happening. If you show up in Africa or in Brazil, I mean, that's not, I can assure you, that's not happening. They raise their voices in prayer, you know. I'm I'm saying we need to change. I'm not saying we need to change who we are culturally, but I'm saying there's something biblical and powerful here for us to lean into. um, As we come together in the church, in in prayer, and raising our voices together. It's it's biblical. It's okay. Um, And it happened all the time. Every time they were tested, every time they faced resistance, the early church, they would come together. Every time there was a challenge, they met together and they raised their voices and they prayed. And then they say this, look at their prayer, down in chapter four, down in verse 29. It says, now Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus after they prayed the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the holy spirit and spoke the word of god boldly i love that and now god consider their threats you know i mean one commentator said this was this was their resolved determination to persevere to keep on going there's definitely something in this, right? God interrupts, and God starts moving, and this prayer, praying people, they experience opposition resistance and coming against them, and they don't, they don't gather around and say, oh God, will you just keep us safe and create this holy huddle? They don't gather around and say, oh God, will you destroy the opposition? This is an outrage. Take them out. You know, no, no there's none of that. They don't say that. They say, God, give us the strength to keep on going, to be faithful to the gospel, to proclaim your word, send signs and wonders and miracles. God, give us the strength. We want to keep on going. And I just think we got to learn that kind of Holy Spirit-empowered perseverance when we experience resistance, to keep on going. Keep on going. Persevere and don't give up. Persevere in prayer and don't give up. You know, I mentioned Brian Heasley from 24-7 Prayer a minute ago. He told the story in this same gathering uh, uh, of his uh, brother, you know, he grew up in a in, in a, in a pastor's home, and, and, uh, and he and his brother, they walked away from the Lord as teenagers, and, and a series of events, you know, bad situation, and, and all that stuff. He said, um, He's 53 now. And he said when he's, uh, you know, maybe eight or 10 years ago, his brother returned to the Lord and he came back to the Lord, you know, much sooner than that, but um, his brother returned to the Lord and he, and he was like so overjoyed. It was an amazing thing. His brother came back to faith and, and he, went, he went and talked to his dad and he's like, how good is that? You know, his brother came back to the Lord and, um, and his dad said this. He said, you know, I've been praying for him every day. Now, that was for 33 years. So those of you in the room who are, you know, who's who's 30, say 32 or younger, you don't have to you don't have to hold your hand up, but think about that. This guy had been praying every day for longer than you've been alive for his son and saw nothing. Saw nothing, right? And finally breakthrough persevere and don't give up persevere and don't give up the children of Israel prayed for 400 years they were determined to keep going and to not stop and friends behind every history you see there's a secret history of prayer we see it here in acts chapter 4 that this early church were gathered they weren't they weren't content to just rely on the outpouring of the holy spirit at pentecost two chapters ago They were facing a new situation and a new set of challenges. And so they needed a new outpouring and a new fresh anointing of the Holy Spirit to come. And so God blessed them with it in the end of chapter 4. We can't rely and settle on past experiences and past outpourings and blessings of God and anointings to carry us through the the new challenges that we're going to face in 2024, church. We need to persevere. To keep pressing, to keep calling out on God. And I think there's there's actually because I think behind every history you see there's a secret history of prayer. Behind every breakthrough there's someone praying. And and let's call it the art of perseverance. You know? The art of perseverance in a cultural of, of immediacy. There's a there's a book title for you. I reckon let's call it the art of perseverance. Not because oftentimes when we think about perseverance, we think of it as a discipline. And discipline's dull and boring and just hard work, right? And it strips perseverance of the beauty that resides within it. I think there's something beautiful about perseverance. So let's call it the art of perseverance. May we learn the art of perseverance. I think God is calling us to persevere, to keep going this year, to keep contending, pressing in for more of God, to not give up. That we would consider their threats, Lord, but keep us, enable us to keep going. That God might want to interrupt us, but also call us to persevere and not give up and you know as I was praying and believing for um, what God might want to do this year in our lives I started um, just believing and praying for like some of you I saw you having conversations with your colleagues at work you know um, and and offering to pray with them maybe something something you've never done before and you like actually the thought of doing that in a highly secular context is just like way beyond me but actually God's gonna give you the empowering spirit to do that and He's going to move and show up in mighty ways to do that. And maybe your heart's pounding and thinking, they're going to think I'm going to a nut job. No, 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 God wants to interrupt. He's got a ahem uh, moment for you in that moment. And there's some of you that God wants to interrupt around things that you need to say goodbye to. I don't know what it is for you, but I just got to think that, that actually there's a quality of life thing here in New Zealand, that there's like plenty of great places to be right now on a Sunday morning, you know, the weather's good, you know, plenty of other awesome places to be. There's this quality of life and I think some of some of those things has just become so pervasive that I wonder if God wants to interrupt a little bit and say, actually, there's something here that we need to say goodbye to in order to persevere and keep pressing in and hungering for more and more of God, for His outpouring, for His transformation, for Him to come. So persevere and don't give up. And so I want to close with a word of prayer and then Allison's going to come and lead us to the table. But I want to close with a prayer of impartation, if that's all right. I want to pray these words of interruption and perseverance over you and over our church for 2024. Is that all right? So let's pray. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Come, Holy Spirit. And I love that when we get to this moment of the, the service, um, actually all throughout the service, that is, none of this is up to me or us or anyone else that this is this is your business this is where you do your work and so I pray in the name of Jesus for each one here I pray God a spirit of interruption over us, that you would interrupt us and that you would use us to embrace re- your kingdom, whether it be at work or maybe it's going to be at the school gate during pick up and drop off or maybe it's going to be um, at home with a conversation with the neighbor over the fence or, or maybe it's going to be at the cafe with some, an old friend that you run into that you haven't seen in years God, will you interrupt us like you interrupted Peter and John to let your kingdom come here and now On earth, we pray that there would be divine appointments, that there'd be moments where your spirit moves in power through these, your people seated here and listening to my voice this morning. Lord, I pray that through our regular rhythms of prayer, we'd become so attuned to your voice, to your heartbeat, that we notice the minute you give a tiny little um, and we zero in and we focus intently, we step aside. Not out of distraction, but out of focus. And Lord, I pray, make us a people who perseveres. When resistance comes, when we face those challenges and those setbacks, Lord, may we not be those who give up easily. May we not get faint-hearted. May we not be afraid, but may we continue to keep on going. Would you strengthen us by your Holy Spirit? to keep on going. Give us the perseverance of the early church. I pray that over us here at the well. May we be those who persevere in prayer. Jesus, build your kingdom here in and through us, we pray. And we all said together, Amen.